Well, hello, church. I'm so pleased you're worshiping with us again this week. I hope you continue to be safe and well and really protecting yourself during these difficult times. We still have the church open on Sundays, and we will continue to do that for the in-person worship, but you can worship with us here online, and we want you to do that, especially so if you have any questions whatsoever about coming out in public. So this is for you, and we worship together and ask God to bless, bless what we're doing. Let's bow in prayer as we open this service. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the blessings in our life. I thank you for our church family. I thank you for their commitment to you, Father. And now, as we have another online service, we bow before your throne. We ask you, Lord, that this message be your message, inspired by the Holy Spirit, for what you want us to have today. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I'm starting a new series uh, today, a four-part series, and it's about understanding the unseen world that surrounds us, the spiritual forces that surround us, both for good and for evil. And I believe that very few Christians have an understanding of what this is, and this really is uh, important for us because this is where the spiritual attack will come in our lives, through the unseen forces. Uh, and so we're going to begin this first part one of this four-part series. And so very few Christians have a deep enough theological understanding of, uh, about the spiritual forces surrounding us, the uh, unseen realm, as it were. We understand that there's an ongoing battle all around us, all the time, between good and evil. But we know very little about these unseen spiritual forces that surround us. Now... What's interesting is that the Barna Group conducted a survey on adults' understanding of this issue and found that nearly 60%, 60% of professing Christians do not believe that Satan is a living being. That's right. Let me repeat that. 60% of professing Christians say they do not believe that Satan is a living being, but merely a symbol of evil. Likewise, likewise, 58% of that same group believe that the Holy Spirit is a symbol of God's power, but not a living entity with whom a person could relate. Well, you know that we spend time on the Holy Spirit, and you know that it is very much an entity, very much an entity, an ongoing entity. And I want to assure you that Satan also is an absolute living entity. He would like nothing better for you to believe that he doesn't exist. But let me tell you, he does exist. All of the evil that you see in this world, all of the, the turmoil that goes on, are inspired by Satan and his demonic forces. And so it is critical for us as Christians, really, uh, to have a proper theological understanding of the unseen world. Clearly, the invisible realms around us are inhabited both by forces of good and God and forces of evil and Satan. Uh, and there is a constant fight going on there. And there's scripture that points to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 4 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So there it is. We're waging war, a spiritual war. We can't wage that war with our flesh. We have to wage that war with the divine power given to us by God through the Holy Spirit. And so we need to understand that there are spiritual forces at work around us all the time, 24 hours a day. C.S. Lewis uh, said it so well. He said, quote, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Now, one of the deceptions that Satan uses in this modern world and modern warfare is to convince people that he really doesn't exist. In fact, in that great book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis again makes this point in a letter from the junior demon to the senior demon. And the junior demon is Wormwood. And Wormwood wonders if maybe it's time that he should reveal himself uh, to the man that he is tempting uh, as a demon. Maybe he should tell him he's a demon. And it's interesting what Screwtape says to the junior demon. He says as follows. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since you cannot believe in that, well, then he cannot really believe in you. And that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants you to believe that he doesn't exist, that he's not real, uh, and that this world is unfazed by him. And unfortunately, that's what many people believe, even many Christians today. So I want to put you all in a position where you're going to be able to, to bring this news first to people in the church and then to the world, to let them know that we face a real enemy, an actual existent, uh, existing enemy. Now, Satan and his demons are very real, especially according to Scripture. Ephesians 6, verse 12, described the unseen realm as comprising forces, not of flesh and blood, but rather, quote, rulers, authorities, against the powers and spiritual forces of evil. Rulers and powers and authorities. In other words, these aren't just isolated demons. There's an actual army in place, a hierarchy in place, surrounding the world. In every important place, in every seat of government, there are demon forces in existence. And in order to walk successfully as a Christian, we need to learn something about the real aspect of Satan and how he behaves. I think this is critical in our walk. You need to know your enemy. You need to know how he works, and you need to know how to combat him. Throughout this uh, scripture, we are given plentiful descriptions of who we are dealing with when it comes to this leader of the demonic realm. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we find the term adversary, uh, in reference to, to Satan, meaning one who opposes the things of God, who will do anything to impose God's kingdom rule and purposes. And so our adversary is called the devil. 
uh, a slanderer who disparages anything that God finds valuable, anything that is holy and pure, according to Matthew chapter 4. And so the serpent from Genesis, who leads the whole army of evil uh, and leads us astray, is also called the evil one in 1 John chapter 5. He's called the tempter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the accuser of the brethren in Revelations chapter 12, and a hungry, roaring lion, 1 Peter chapter 5, a murderer and a liar and the father of lies, John chapter 8. That's quite a picture uh, of this demonic force. Uh, and you can imagine the power and authority that he has to lead this enormous demonic army, these demons that have all been thrown out of heaven, and we'll get into that. But perhaps most telling is the name he is given in Job chapter 38 and in Isaiah chapter 14, where he's given the name Lucifer, Lucifer. And Lucifer is Latin for the one who bears bright lights. And that's an amazing title, and I think it epitomizes him as well, because he comes on looking attractive, full of bright light, and in an enticing format. And so while his motives and operations are disgusting and evil in every way, he appears desirable in manner and sight. That's why so many people fall for, for these demonic forces. And so today, Satan may be the tempter and the accuser, but it was not always this way. And I think one of the things that you need to know is you need to know the beginning of Satan, the beginning of Lucifer. How did it all come about? Uh, and so when you delve back into scripture and you look at the fact that God created him uh, from the beginning, he was a highly created creature. He was just below God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He was just below them. He was the highest of all created beings. Uh, Ezekiel 28, verses 14 to 17 says as follows about him. You were an import, uh, anointed guardian cherub. And a cherub were those uh, angels which were the ones that guarded the throne of God. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from the fiery stones, your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor, so I threw you to the earth. There it is. That's effectively the beginning of history in this world, as God takes Lucifer, this uh, anointed cherub, who was put in a high place, but instead, instead, because of his pride, he became corrupted because of his beauty, because he wanted effectively to be equal with God. 
He wanted the, the prayers that God had, the graciousness that God had, the worship of God he wanted for himself because he thought he should because of his beauty. And so because of pride, he was corrupted. And because he was corrupted, evil came into his heart. And then because evil came into his heart, he effectively had to be expelled from heaven and was thrown to this earth. And I believe that this world was effectively destroyed at that time. This is all prior to the Garden of Eden. And so we know from other readings we're going to get into that one-third of the angelic realm joined him in this rebellion. Can you imagine that? I mean, that tells you the power of this guy, the charisma of Lucifer, that he could take these other angels that are in heaven and convince them that he is the way to go, that they should spend eternity with him in opposition to God himself. That's the nature of this, this being. And so among the hierarchy of angels, there was none more important than Lucifer. We know that cherubs are the highest class of angels. In fact, when Adam and Eve were tossed out of the Garden of Eden, God placed cherubim at the gates so that no man could ever walk into the Garden of Eden again. Uh, and so we see this, this position of, of greatness for Lucifer, and we see that he fell. In Ezekiel 28, verse 15, it said that he was blameless in his ways from the day he was created, meaning he was created without sin. And so he walked with God. Uh, he walked in the very presence of God, right next to God, as close as you could get to God. That's where he was. He had vast authority given him by the hand of God. Uh, and he delivered effectively an, a universe of angelic praise to God into God's hands. Uh, we know from scripture that he had great musical talent. And so most likely he was the first great worship leader in the universe. Uh, and, and he's been referred to as such uh, in scripture. And so understanding this, you could see how this guy with all of, of this charisma, all of these talents, all of these gifts, let it, lets it go to his head, becomes filled with pride, indicating that he really should be in a place equal with God uh, and that he ought to have the authority to make determinations how the universe ought to be run. Now, one day, that all changed drastically when Lucifer decided to turn his back on God the Father and on the Creator and attempt to get some of the praise that God was due for himself. He allowed his pride to get the better of him. And this becomes an important thing for us to understand. And this is really why pride was the first sin in every way. It's the first sin because that's how Lucifer felt. It's when we, we are filled with pride about ourselves, about our gifts, about our talents, that Satan uses that to make us begin to come into rebellion with God. Now, I know what you're saying to me. You're saying, come on, John, I'm not going to lead a rebellion to God. No, you're not going to lead a rebellion to God. But what you will do is you will say, Father, I don't really want to submit to your will on this issue. I'm pretty talented at running my own life. 
I know my career. I know my gifts. I don't really have to really put all of this under your spotlight. But in fact, you do. And when you begin to say that you don't need to do it, that's when you are in great danger of falling away from the will of God. And that's exactly what happened here. Yes, he was talented. Yes, he was beautiful. Yes, he was in close proximity to God. But instead of being brought closer to God and submitting to the will of God, effectively he began to rebel. He rebels internally and then he rebels externally. Uh, and as he chose this rebellion, it was so contagious and so charismatic in terms of his personality that he brought millions of angels onto his side who became demons and are now filling this world around us, the spiritual realms that I, that I said. If you want to fact check that, you can look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, which tells us that one-third of the heavenly host effectively went into rebellion with Lucifer against God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that they would be sucked in to a rebellion with God, lost forever, lost forever, to spend eternity effectively in a lake of fire um, because they went with, with Lucifer instead of our loving Father? Now, this large-scale disobedient rebellion would thrust the entire world into chaotic darkness. You recognize he's being thrown to earth. And in that darkness of this world, it would remain so until God would one day choose to say, let there be light. Because before that, Satan is here, this is his realm, but the world is filled with the darkness. Uh, and, and here's the thing I want you to read. Uh, this ought to instruct us because Satan is filled with darkness. And Ezekiel chapter 28 begins to describe Satan in very prolific words. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 through 19. And here it is. In the, in the scriptures here, it, it's, it begins to discuss a king of Tyre, but it's really not the king of Tyre. It's really Satan. So if you have your Bible and you begin with verse 11 in Ezekiel 28, it says as follows. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And now you have this prophetic word from God about Satan himself. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, and emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked through the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God 
and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. So there it is. You get the sense of saying that he walked on the mountain of God, the holy mountain of God, uh, where the very stones are, are like jewels. And there he was walking next to God, filled with perfect talent, created sinless and blameless in every way until wickedness found its way in his heart, starting effectively with pride. And pride is such a damaging aspect of, of our walk with God that we need to really focus in on this. Uh, and you can see Satan's own words if you would turn to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to, four, to 14. That's Isaiah 14, verses tw verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who were once laid low, the nations. You said in your heart, now listen to this, because you understand God is telling you now what, what Lucifer said in his heart, which God recognized. I will ascend to heaven. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. On the, most, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Do you notice the language there? I, 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 I will ascend. I will be above the stars. I will be on the mountain. And you see this, this creature filled, filled with pride. Uh, and there's no submission to God. There's no humility to God. There's no recognition that you were a created being and God created you. Instead, you now, in your mind, have made yourself equal or, in fact, possibly superior to God, the creator himself. And, and it's an amazing study when you listen to him speak. And it's such a warning to me as to how God wants us to be careful, even to those of us who he has given great gifts. Yes, God has given you talents. Yes, God has given you gifts. But you must bow before the throne of God and put all of those gifts, all of those talents before him and say, Lord, tell me what you want me to do. That's really what God wants to hear. Lord, what do you want me to do? I can't do this on my own, Father. I want to walk with you. I don't want to be in rebellion. I want to be in an act of constant submission and prayer in my life. That's the lesson here. And it's an important lesson for us to understand. And so this is a tremendous lesson for us as to the dangers of pride. Uh, effectively, Lucifer said that he would be his own God. Now, I know you're saying to yourself right now, well, John, I would never say that I would be my own God, but you would say, would you not? Well, I'd like to be able to pick my own job, pick where I live, uh, pick the, the woman I want to marry, pick the kind of people that I need to be with, uh, make the decisions in my life as to where I go. I want to be able to be, you know, pardon my expression, the Lord of my own life. And this is exactly what doomed Lucifer. All right, 
We cannot be the Lord of our own lives. When we are in league with Jesus Christ and God the Father, we submit to them in every way. Every decision that we make, we bow to them. They are the ones that direct our paths in every way. And so this rebellion that you see with Lucifer is still ongoing today in this world, all right? As humanity continues to rebel against the will of God in so many ways. Uh, and, and you know, he does it in a very slick way because he doesn't really expect you to worship him. He, just, he knows that most likely if he were coming at you in that way, very few people would worship Satan. We know that there are some people that do that, but very few. But instead, what he wants you to do is he wants you to detach yourself from God. Put, put thoughts in your mind. Come on. Do you really need God to tell you this? Do you really need to, to let him make these decisions? You know better. You're an educated man. You went to college. You went to graduate school. Uh, you built a, a tremendous business. You're a smart guy or a smart woman. You don't need to, to uh, attach yourself to God over these very mundane decisions. And let me say to you very surely that you do need to ask God to make all those decisions in your life. And so as long as we are consumed by our own interests, uh, our own needs, our own desires, our own success, we are no longer focused on God. And let me make a point here as we deal with this issue uh, of Satan, of focusing on marriages that fail. Uh, and you know, in this country, we have a very high divorce rate. And I submit to you that so many of us uh, that fall into this issue with divorce. What happens here is certainly when we got married, there's a chemical attraction and we're drawn to somebody. Uh, but after some period of time, the chemistry begins to wear off. And now what happens? Well, I'm not getting my needs met. It's all about me, uh, my own success, what I need, my interests, my desires, and I'm not getting it from this other person. And you understand that's exactly how Satan operates. He wants you to say that. Instead, in a godly marriage, we recognize that Christ is the third person in that, in that relationship. And so in those marriages, we bow to Christ. You know, I've, I've preached on this, that we go up the sides of a triangle, the husband on one side and the wife on the other, until we get to the top where Jesus is. And every day of our life, we're drawn closer together because of Jesus Christ. Well, what Satan does is he makes you think that you have a right to your own personal interests. Look, you should be happier. You can find a prettier woman. You can find a better looking guy. You know, really, you should have this. Life is short. Life is short. What a danger this is. As, he, as we destroy relationships, as we, as we destroy the commitments that we make to God, and for many of us, the destruction of these relationships puts us outside of the kingdom of God for the rest of our life as we're walking in an unhappy world. Even though we're saved, we're not convinced that we're truly saved as he works on your mind. This is the way Satan operates. Now, you know, Satan only speaks three times in all of scripture, but it tells you a lot about how he works towards his goal. First, in the book of Genesis, uh, Satan shows up in the form of a serpent, approaches Eve, and convinces her uh, that God is not really interested in her best interests, 
and he slanders God and the character and nature of God and convinces her that she should eat of the fruit because when she does, she'll be as smart as God. Can you imagine? That's how he does it. And that's how, how we fall into sin. The second time Satan speaks is in Job. And we see there, and he, and he says to God, well, the only reason he follows you is that you blessed him. You've been a blessing machine. But if all of a sudden you turn off those blessings, he will repudiate you. And then you see that he spends the time attacking Job, his flesh, his possessions, his family, in every way, seeking to destroy him, seeking to get him to repudiate God. But Job remains strong and does not succumb to these temptations. The third time that you see Satan active uh, and speaking is with Jesus when Jesus is brought out into the wilderness. And what's interesting there is the third test, the third temptation, really, I think, epitomizes the whole nature of that, that temptation. The third test reveals Satan's ultimate goal as it relates to Jesus. Uh, and here he says, if you will bow down and worship me, Satan said to Jesus, I will give you all these things, pointing to the entire world. But Jesus was not swayed. Jesus knew that, that only God could direct his paths, and so he repudiated Satan. But you see how he operates? Just make this one small step. Just bow down to me, Jesus. It's not a big deal, and I will give you all this. After all, this is why you came. You came to convince the world that you are, in fact, the Son of God. I'll give you that. But Jesus repudiated it. It was not how Jesus was meant to be able to claim our salvation. That would be able to be claimed only on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice of God. And so this focus of this message is designed to make you aware that Satan really exists uh, and to understand how he wants to infiltrate and destroy your life. His overall strategy is to kill, steal, and destroy. It's as simple as that. Um, just as he deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden, he will try to deceive you. He tried to deceive Jesus, but he failed miserably. miserably. Uh, and so what he does is he tries to get you to walk away from God uh, and to uh, make you lose focus about submission and get you to become disobedient with, uh, with God. This tactic has worked so well over the thousands of years that this world has been in existence, that Satan has become now known as the God of this world. Uh, and I cite 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, where, where Paul says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Imagine that. Satan called the God of this world because he is the God of this world, because he was cast to this world, because humanity in its lost state does not want to submit to God and instead is attracted to the deceptions and the lies of Satan himself. And that's how he becomes the God of this world. Let me tell you something, folks. All of the evil that you see in this world, all of the murders, all of the wars, all of the travails that you see can be laid right at the footstep of Satan. That's where it is. That's where evil takes place. It is the heart of darkness. It is the battle that God has set up from the beginning of time. Uh, and so Satan can deceive people by his direct influence, 
but, but he can be equally effective using agents. This is important for you to understand that he may not come directly to you, but he may, be, may come to you through third parties. Many whom Satan has deceived have become his agents spreading lies around the world. Uh, and this is, this is an awful thing to see. Uh, in Matthew 13, it says that the field is the world and the weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who showed them what this was about is the devil. So you understand that you can be influenced by family. You can be influenced by friends who they themselves don't even understand. Don't even understand themselves that they are being inspired by Satan. And yet they are. And yet that can be a terrible detriment to your life. And so Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day in John chapter 8, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. That's how Jesus looked at the unsaved world. That's how Jesus looked really effectively at the Jewish hierarchy, the religious elite. And so Satan may try to influence you through the uh, other people, through coworkers, through family, through friends, and even those in authority. And he does this by disguising himself as an angel of light. Take a look at 2 Corinthians, if you would, chapter 11, verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Ladies and gentlemen, what is, what is God telling you there? God is telling you there that there can be false apostles, false preachers, false teachers, uh, deceitful workmen who make it look like they're working for God and they're not working for God. They're working for themselves. You understand that? They masquerade here, quote, as apostles of Christ. Uh, and it says, no wonder, because Satan himself masquerades himself as an angel of light. That's how Satan operates. So he doesn't make himself look like Darth Vader. Not at all. He makes himself look as a, a lovely, delightful, pleasing, charming entity, full of light, and you become attracted to it in so many ways. And he just starts with getting you to walk away little by little from your submission to the throne of God. And so people who are deceived are really not aware of this condition. Uh, and part of the reason is that we have redefined sin in our culture. Uh, and as I was writing this message, it really resonated with me that we have done that. Because consider where we are now in this world and our culture. We now have socially acceptable recreational activities, such as drug use, drunkenness, promiscuity, and a host of other things Satan loves to point out the benefits of such behavior, but hides the nasty consequences as he did with Eve. And that's what it's like in the world. You know, yes, why don't you take that drug? It's not such a big deal. You're not gonna get hooked. You're just gonna take a little bit of it. It's recreational. It'll make you feel better. You'll be at ease. 
all right? Or, or the issue of promiscuity. You see this attractive woman or, or this attractive guy, and you just say, well, you know what? God wants me to be happy. Why can't I be happy? What's it going to be if I just get into a, a, a sexual relationship with this person? Instead, it becomes the very downfall of your life. It rips apart your family. It destroys your relationship with children. And for generations, that sin continues as, as generation after generation is affected by such sin. May, us, may, may we really bow before the throne of God and ask God to strengthen us, to make us wise, and God to protect us from these inferences from Satan, this sin that is like a metastatic disease in every possible way. And so many people have destroyed their lives uh, and, and have been swallowed up by these uh, deceptions. Uh, and I told, spoke to you earlier about uh, marriages. And that's one of the great, great things that you see. So many marriages are swallowed up by sin, plain and simple. Don't give me, we just don't get along. Listen, you have to bow before God, put Jesus in the middle of that relationship, and then getting along is not the issue. The issue is service. How can I serve you, God? How can I serve my wife? How can I serve my husband? How can I bow before your throne and walk with you, God? Not about me, 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 but you, you, you. So Satan wants you to think there's nothing wrong with destructive behavior when it's the very reason why he was thrown out of heaven. Uh, and so he will, he will continue to attack you. It will always go on. Uh, and, and one of the things that I think he's most effective with, especially as it relates uh, to Christians, is the accuser of the brethren. It's one of his great titles, the accuser of the brethren. And you know, years ago, I didn't understand that. But more and more as I walk with God, I, under, I understand it. It says there in Revelations chapter 12, he is the accuser of the brethren who accuses them day and night before our God. What does that mean? It means this, he knows you're saved. He knows you're trying to walk with God. But you see, he works on your mind and on your thoughts. And here's what he says, you... You, John, who do you think you are? You think you can get up and preach to people? I know you. I know what you did before. I know what kind of person you were. I know the kind of words that you said and the kind of life you leave. And now you have the nerve to get up and speak about God? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You're a hypocrite. And that's how he operates, you see? He makes you think that God has not truly saved you. He makes you think that you are not worthy to walk with God. And he wants to do this in order to take you away from dedicating yourself to God and walking in the light of God and advancing the kingdom himself. And so he insinuates himself into your very thinking by ridiculing your efforts and maintaining that you're never holy enough uh, to do what you're doing. Uh, and, and so I want to say this to you once and for all, that if that's an issue in your life, you need to ask the blood of Jesus Christ to wash over you. And I would say this, I want to cite the first John chapter one, verse nine, which says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He cleanses us. Once we confess our sins, that book is closed. It can never be reopened. As far as God is, those sins are as far as the east is from the west. And don't let Satan insinuate himself into your life to thinking that he can resurrect them again and resuscitate them again and drag you down. It cannot be. This is impossible. And so when you're beginning to think that you are worthless, uh, I want you to know and that you'll never amount to anything that God sees you and he loves you and he has a great plan for your life. Reject Satan. Reject him and reflect on the promise of scripture. Christ defeated him at the cross. He was defeated at the cross. At the last day, at the very last day, he and all the demon forces will be thrown into a lake of fire. Amen, church? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this warning to us, Lord, about how Satan operates as an adversary, going around like a roaring lion. But now, God, you have given us the word to put ourselves on guard. And so, Father, I ask that you strengthen us, that you be with us, that you walk with us, that you make us conscious of this demon that seeks to devour us. Strengthen our people. Give our people peace, Father, and be with them as, as they consider this message and let it resonate in their hearts this week. Lord, we ask you to bless them and protect them all until we continue to worship with you next week. And put this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you, church.